Hey, what's up, Fight Fans? Welcome back to the Neutral Corner. This is episode 310, episode 310 of the Neutral Corner Boxing Podcast. I am your host, Michael Montero, for Ring Magazine, the Ring Digital YouTube channel, and ringtv.com. And uh, I remind you guys that our latest collector's special issue is out, the 100 Greatest Punchers of the Last 100 Years. Make sure you guys check this out. These collector's editions, they always sell out. So uh, make sure that you grab that. It's on newsstands everywhere. Again, this is uh, episode 310 of TNC. We have much, much to discuss. Isn't it great to have a lot to discuss every week right now, uh, really for the next month or so on the show that, um, you know, for a while it was just so dry (laughs) and, uh, you know, all sorts of things come up on those shows. But man, when it's a loaded show like this, I mean, you guys every week have been messaging me saying, man. This was the best show ever. And then the next week, yo, that was even better. <laughs> Every show, the best show ever. So uh, it's because we have so much to talk about, man. There's so much good stuff going on right now. There's so many fights. So we got a lot of stuff to review. We got plenty to preview. As always, I remind you guys, make sure that you're subscribed to the Ring Digital's YouTube channel and that you click that notification bell so you never miss a live episode of the show. Also, make sure you're subscribed to my channel, Montero Unboxing. And if you're listening to the audio pod, wherever, whatever platform you listen to podcasts on, just look for me, Michael Montero, at the Neutral Corner, Montero Unboxing. You will find me there. And you uh, should always, always subscribe, always like, share, comment, give me ratings, reviews, all that good stuff. It helps me out. And if you really, really want to help out, go to MonteroUnboxing.com, pick up a Montero Unboxing t-shirt. They're stylish, they're comfortable, they're oh so sexy, you'll look great in them. And um, you can also uh, donate to the show directly if you'd like, you can tip the show. We have several different options there, make it real easy for you through all the pay apps and such. All right, let's get right into this, man. Let's get right into this. Um, I'm going to skip over news and notes, and we're going to go right into the fight review because we have a lot to talk about. All right, so let's get into it. Okay, um, last Saturday, April 16th, we had plenty of action on both sides of the pond. Let's start over in the UK. Matchroom Boxing from Manchester, England. This was broadcast on the zone. Connor Ben improves to 21 and 0 with a TKO2 win over Chris Van Heerden. Uh, 12 rounds, 147 pound fight, of course. And Connor Ben, to me, is a bona fide welterweight contender right now he's a top 10 welterweight i think he's proven that i think he's legit i think he's for real is he ready for the elite no but i want to see him against one of those mid-range welterweights maybe it's a jordanus ugas uh you know somebody like that i'd like to see him against that level of opponent next it is time to bump him up he passed this test with flying colors uh van heerden has been in there with some top guys he loses when he when he steps up. He's he's not you know on that level. But Ben did what he was supposed to do against this level of opponent. So I definitely think Connor Ben is the real deal. I want to see more of him. I'm excited to see him develop now to that next step. He's graduated to that contender level now. He's he's a junior contender, a baby contender. Let's see him build that up. Because in my opinion, guys like Jerron Ennis, uh, Stanionis, who we'll talk about later. Virgil Ortiz, you know, those guys are a level ahead of Ben right now. I just think they have a little more seasoning and they're a little bit further along in their development. But Ben is getting close. 
He's kind of nipping at their heels, you know, and I like what I see. Also on this card, speaking of liking what I see, <laughs> uh, Alicia Baumgartner. I'm not trying to be creepy, but she's – can I just say this? Listen, guys, 99% of boxing fans are heterosexual males, okay? So if we're going to talk about women's boxing, it doesn't hurt that Alicia Baumgartner, in my opinion, is the most attractive female boxer in the world right now. Um, at least at the high level, because there's maybe some other female fighters out there I don't know about, but I'm talking about the highest level, the championship level. She's the hottest one. She's the best looking one. And the girl's got hands. She can fight. So uh, she defended her WBC 130 pound title for the first time on the undercard of Ben Van Heerden. And it went to distance. Some people were predicting knockout. She fought an opponent from Argentina that's not very good and it lost several times, but she's durable. Anyway, Baumgartner went the distance here. One, it was virtually a shutout. Uh, this girl can punch with power, but it, it is what it is, right? Uh, this was good, 10 good rounds for her, first defense of her title. I'd love to see her in there against Michaela Mayer. Please make that fight happen. I think that'd be very, very interesting. Uh, so that was a fun little doubleheader there for Matchroom Boxing. But the big card last week, of course, was uh, TGB Promotions, PBC. And before the Showtime pay-per-view card started, uh, which had a great main event, but the undercard, whew, I don't have a lot of good things to say about it. Although this week's undercard is going to be a lot worse. Uh, but let's start with Showtime. Okay, regular Showtime. Uh, Brandon Lee, friend to the show, Brandon Lee, uh, gets another W. Vito Milnecki gets another W. Both of those guys went the distance, which is good. They got in some rounds, particularly Lee. I think he needs those rounds because he's been knocking out some of his opponents. But in the uh, headliner of that preliminary show on regular showtime, with a really, really good fight between two Eastern European welterweights. Uh, it started kind of slow and technical. I shouldn't really use the word slow. It started more technical. But it just, by the middle rounds, it was a bruising, bruising kind of fight. And by the late rounds, you were really seeing a war. I mean, both these guys put an ass whooping on each other. Uh, Imantis Stanionis and Radzhab Butaev fought to uh, the 12-round distance in a really, really fun uh, fight. Uh, for Butaev, it was his first professional loss. Stanionis takes the split decision win. And for me personally, I didn't like the split decision. Uh, I thought that Stanionis clearly won this fight. Now, it was close. It was competitive. I think you could go seven rounds to five for Stanionis. I think you can even go eight rounds to four, honestly. Uh, but I just, I can't see a draw. I can't see Buteyev winning. Buteyev did some good work. He's really, really rugged. The guy has just a beard from hell. He's almost a poor man's version of Artur Baturbiev. And I don't mean that disrespectfully. I'm just saying he's not quite as good as uh, Baturbiev, in my opinion. Better Biev. I still don't know how you're supposed to say it. But um, he, he kind of just reminds me of him, the way he rolls downhill and nothing seems to hurt the guy. I feel like you could hit him with a baseball bat and he kind of just grin and keep coming. He also looks like actor Brian Callen. If you guys don't know who that is, just Google it. Uh, Buteyev looks just like Brian Callen. Uh, you see, you'll recognize him. You'll remember him from like the Hangover movies and stuff. He's a character actor. Or if you uh, watch Joe Rogan, he's on Joe Rogan all the time. Anyway. Uh, Judge Javier Alvarez had this uh, seven rounds to five for Butea, which I just think is, is just a bad scorecard. 
And I know that there are several of my colleagues in the boxing media, particularly those headquartered out in Southern California, um, who really like Buteyev because he trains out there with uh, Joel Diaz. And so, you know, he's kind of one of their favorite guys. I think they kind of overrated some of his work. He did some good quality work in this fight, but he didn't win it. You know, he, he was rough. He was rugged. He marked up standing on his face. At the end of this fight, you look at both guys' face. The Lithuanian had a lot more wear and tear, although 99% of that damage was from elbows, forearms, and headbutts, and even shoulders. Butea was using his shoulder in spots. Um, so he's he's kind of a dirty fire, Butea. I'm, I'm not trying to say that in a, in a, a shitty way. He's just one of those guys that's going to come at you and throw everything he's got, not just his fist. He's going to just be rough as he possibly can. And it's up to you as the opponent to nullify all that or to um, to outwork him. And that's what Standing Onus did. Uh, so, look, I, I'm going to give some punch numbers here because I know you guys absolutely love them. According to CompuBox, uh, Standing Onus landed 222 of 601 punches, 37% connect percentage. Muteyev landed 140 of 747 for a 19% uh, uh, connect rate. Stanionis landed 80 jabs to Buteyev's 21. He landed 142 power punches to Buteyev's 119. Most of those, almost all of those were to the head. Uh, so you could clearly see edges there for Stanionis right now. Where Buteyev had an edge was in body punching. Buteyev landed 64 body punches to only 35 for Stanionis. So even despite that, despite this guy coming forward and landing all those body shots and getting really, um, quote unquote, crafty, we'll call it crafty. Okay, that's that's what Bernard Hopkins would say. He was getting crafty with his head and his forearms and his shoulders and everything else he's got. Despite all of that, I thought Stanionis controlled the action for the majority of the rounds. And again, it's not that Buteo didn't have moments because he absolutely did. Were those moments often enough? and frequent enough to win rounds. In my opinion, no. I personally scored this fight eight rounds to four for Stanionis. Now, I think uh, Buteyev lost a point in this fight, which I thought was, was an overreach by referee Rafael Ramos, who got way too involved in this fight. He wasn't the only ref to get way too involved or have an off night uh, in this entire card there in Texas. But uh, I didn't think that point needed to be deducted, okay? I thought, you know, if it were me, I wouldn't have taken that point. I thought the fight should have been 116-112. But with that point deduction, I had it 116-111. Now, if you want to go 7-5, Stanionis, I can live with that. But the people that had this a draw or had of winning, I I'm sorry. I just, I just disagree. And I think you need to go back and watch the fight without the commentary. Um, I, I don't even remember the commentary, to be honest with you. I can't remember who they were favoring. Just to me, the guy doing the better work more consistently throughout the fight, that was the Lithuanian. So that was really, really good. By the way, I have to note, the, uh, the crowd in Dallas, uh, Arlington to be specific, which is like a little suburb of Dallas, not very good. Now, I was, I was, I've been in Dallas for multiple fights, okay? But one that really stands out is um, Spence and Mikey Garcia. The crowd was really good for that event. Not just the main event, but the undercard. They were cheering. They were lively. And that did a really big crowd, a much bigger crowd for that fight than we saw for this particular weekend. And there weren't as many gimmies. 
a lot of the tickets that went out this weekend, I've been told per sources. Now, you know, I, I can neither prove this or, or disprove it, but I've been told by sources close to the situation that there were a lot of gimmies. There were a lot of comps. There were a lot of discounted tickets, like last minute discounts that went out and not just up in the nosebleeds, but even down near the floor. So I think that generally speaking, when you have a papered event, when you have a lot of fans that didn't really pay or didn't pay anywhere near full price for their ticket, they're not as emotionally invested. They're not diehard fight freaks. So you're not going to get the same crowd energy. And for the crowd to pretty much be silent through this entire fight between Standionos and Buteyev, crazy. They didn't only wake up until like the 12th round. And that was only because there was some drama because uh, Butea was really starting to land some hard shots and have some little moments that here and there. Uh, the ref kept breaking him up. Butea was getting really, really dirty and kind of forcing the ref to get involved a little bit. I thought the ref got involved a little too much. All that being said, uh, the crowd to me, man, Dallas, do better. Texas, do better. Man, I, I, I just, wow. Okay, moving on to the pay-per-view. All right. So after the Showtime card, it goes to Showtime pay-per-view. Now on the undercard, the first three bouts, uh, Cody Crowley won a unanimous decision over Jose Cito Lopez. Kind of crazy that that went to distance. Uh, Isaac Cruz scored a TKO five win over Yoriokos Gamboa. He dropped him 473 times in that fight. And Jose Venezuela scored a KO one win over the the the. The, I don't even know what to say. I was going to say the shell, but it's not, the ghost of the shell of Francisco Vargas. So uh, Tom Brown, who I know listens to the show sometimes, and I know a bunch of the PBC guys do. Listen, guys, please, please let those three fighters walk off into the sunset, the B-sides on that. I get that, you know, Jose Cito Lopez, uh, I know why he was there. I, and Francisco Vargas, I know who you were trying to appeal to and market to. I get it. But, dude, these guys are going to die in the fucking ring. Let them retire. And, and Gamboa, how many times? I mean, Kim Kardashian hasn't seen as much action and banging as this guy has. Please, please, let the three of them retire. They're done. They're beyond done. They were done years ago. Let these guys walk away into the sunset. We never want to see them in the ring again, Okay especially on a pay-per-view where you were charging people $80. Those three fighters had, and by the way, same with their three opponents, had no business being on a pay-per-view. Just none, okay? Now, on an undercard, cool, we can live with, you know, Isaac Cruz, I get marketing-wise why you guys had to do that for the Tank Davis thing. I get it. Jose Venezuela, you're building him up. Cody Crowley, you're going to serve him up to one of your guys coming up. I get I get what you're doing there. But the three opponents. Jose Cito Lopez, Yoriokas Gamboa, Francisco Vargas, never should fight again. I'm going to say it real slow. They should never fight again, especially on a pay-per-view, all right? Please, please listen to me on this one because one of these guys is going to get seriously hurt. It's going to be a bad look for you. All right, let's get to the main event. Errol Spence Jr., the truth. Scores a TKO 10 win over Jordanus Ugas. Unifies the WBC, WBA, and IBF welterweight titles. And Spence's work rate was the most impressive part of this performance for me. Uh, he was in out. 
outstanding physical shape for this fight. Outstanding. He threw and landed so many punches. And it wasn't just uh, the amount of punches. It's how he threw them, the accuracy, the explosiveness, all of it. Errol Spence does not have one punch knockout power. Never has, never will. He's not that kind of puncher. But if you stand in front of him and let him roll downhill on you and uh, get off with that high work rate, he is going to beat you up and break you down. He's done this now to two fighters I can think of. Um, remember Kell Brook, who he was losing to early on, but came back and wore him down and stopped him late and broke his orbital bone, right? Did the same thing here with Jordanus Ugas. Um, you know, Ugas had some moments early on, but not many. We'll talk more about him in a second. But in the, by the middle round, Spence was completely dominating and in full control of the fight, uh, other than the sixth round, which I'll talk about too. And then he wears Ugas down, breaks his over the bone, gets him out of there. So Spence is not a guy that has one-punch knockout power. I actually think Terrence Crawford has more one-punch knockout power, even though he is a blown-up lightweight than Errol Spence does. I think Crawford just has a little more of that twitch and a little more uh, ability to hit you with punches you don't see, and he's also more accurate. And he gets a little more length and trajectory on his punches. What Spence does is he moves his feet very well and angles himself. He gets in really good positions to put his hips in the shots. And even though they're almost arm punches, the way he's throwing it, because his angle and his spacing is so good, and he does turn his hips, uh, he gets some good some good leverage on the punches, enough to systematically break down opponents. And that's what Spence did here. Um, let's talk real quick about this weird moment in the sixth round, because I, I tweeted something today that just triggered some of you guys out there. You know, I, I can't tweet anything without somebody getting triggered. So it was actually my man Julius over at Ring IQ Boxing that tweeted a, a video sequence of what happened in the sixth round. I retweeted it, and I'll get into the details, okay? So, so um, in the sixth round, I, I don't remember the exact time, whether it was <laughs> the beginning, middle, or end of the round, but Ugas landed a good shot, a good shot that visibly rocked Spence. His legs wobbled, he did a little shimmy, and the mouthpiece came out, okay? This is where the controversy started for people. And there's people on both sides of this thing taking a, just taking too many liberties, in my opinion. The ref, when he sees a mouthpiece fly out, is not, according to some people on Twitter are getting this wrong, but what he is not supposed to immediately jump in there and stop the action to grab the mouthpiece. He is supposed to, <laughs> supposed to wait for a natural, logical, break in the action right to where both fighters kind of take a breather and there's a lull or a break in the action then you know call for break call for timeout grab the mouthpiece and put it back in the fighter's mouth right after the trainer washes it down so that hadn't happened yet so i thought lawrence cole handled the mouthpiece situation actually perfectly well I saw some people on Twitter, particularly aerosexuals, which is a new term I heard this weekend and I thought it was fucking hilarious. Some of the aerosexuals uh, were really, really upset that Cole didn't, you know, a nanosecond after the uh, the mouthpiece came out, didn't jump in there, stop the fight, and, and give Errol a break to, to get the mouthpiece back in. I actually thought 
Lawrence Cole, who has a reputation. I'm not going to sit here and just beat up on Lawrence Cole because he's having a tough few days here uh, online right now. But he handled that part of it good, okay? So immediately after that, well, a second or a couple of moves after that, okay? I shouldn't say immediately. There was a few athletic moves in between. And then uh, <clears throat> Cole almost motioned like he was going to break, but he didn't. I didn't hear him say break. Now, some people are saying he did, but I didn't hear him say break, nor did the ringside commentator crew, nor did the fighters. Nobody heard him say break, but some people magically on Twitter did. Other than those guys, nobody heard him say break. But Cole looked like he might yell break, but he didn't de decisively, definitively yell break or put his hands up or get in between the fighters, which is what a ref's supposed to do. When you're a ref, you're supposed to be decisive with everything you do. You don't half-ass shit. You don't, you don't, you don't wishy-wash any of it. You you fucking do it or you don't, right? So Cole was kind of indecisive. And in that moment, Spence kind of turned his back because he thought he was about to get a break. Ugas, to his credit, seized that opportunity, landed a one-two. It wasn't just one punch, it was two. It was a one-two. Spence being off balance was knocked backwards and flung into the ropes and bounced right back off the ropes. And that is the sequence that has been driving boxing Twitter aflame ever since. So per the rules of boxing, okay, if a fighter's glove touches the canvas, it's a knockdown. If a fighter's knee touches the canvas, it's a knockdown. If any part of your elbow or forearm or any of that hits the canvas, it's a knockdown. If the ropes hold you up, if your butt, if you're up on the ropes and you take a shot and your butt sits down on the ropes, that's a knockdown. If you're in the middle of the ring and you get hit with the punch and you fly into the ropes and the ropes hold you up, that's a knockdown. Okay. That's the way it's supposed to work. It's become a gray area in boxing now because everybody and their mother, particularly the aerosexuals, immediately started posting clips of fights where uh, one guy even posted a clip that's 12 years old, 12 years old of um, who was it? It was Cotto, Miguel Cotto's brother um, knocking Canelo Alvarez, who I think was 19 at the time, 20th, something like that back into the ropes and Tony weeks. Cause I, I think it was Tony weeks. Uh, it was in Vegas. I can't remember if it was at the MGM or, or Mandalay Bay. It was in Vegas. Uh, he missed the knockdown, didn't call it. And Canelo was clearly wobbled, and the ropes held him up. So people are going to extreme conclusions because anytime anybody at PBC is criticized at all, they got to pull out Canelo or Loma or just you know, find a clip, right? So I saw all those going, and I get it. The, the, the referees are inconsistent about this call. And if there's one thing I can't stand, it's inconsistency. So we're either going to stick with the ropes rule and consistently call that, or we're going to do away with it. But we need to make a decision here. The Association of Boxing Commissions needs to jump in, and, and they need to have a meeting this year and decide what they're going to do with this rule. Because some referees are calling it, some are not. As I understand it, my entire boxing life, you're supposed to look at the ropes in this situation as if the ropes weren't there, would Errol Spence have went down? And clearly, based on what we saw, when he got clipped with that one-two, 
Had he flung back 20, 30 feet, he would have eventually fallen down. The ropes held him up. Now, some of you out there are saying, well, um, you know, can you name an example where this really affected the outcome of a fight? Okay, I will. I think it was, it might have been the rematch, and I think it was the third fight between uh, Israel Vasquez and Juan Manuel, or not Juan, uh, Rafael Marquez, okay? I want to say it was the 12th round uh, where I, I think it was Marquez's butt hit the ropes. Referee correctly called it a knockdown. And that two-point swing in that final round gave Vasquez the victory in that rubber match fight. It was an outstanding fight, in my opinion, the best of all their fights together. So that's just one example I could think of off the top of my head, but there are a bunch. So this matters, okay? All that being said, this particular sequence in the sixth round of this fight had absolutely no bearing on the outcome of the fight. And some people took my tweet as me trying to infer that there was some sort of conspiracy at play. Because everybody has to take my tweets and interject their own beliefs and their own biases and prejudices or paranoia and add that shit to the text of my tweet. Nowhere in my tweet, oh, I, I should talk about the tweet real quick. So Ring IQ, Julius, who I like a lot, he tweeted the video and he goes, look, this looks weird. Why didn't Ugas pounce on this dude? Why didn't Ugas try to get Spence out of there when he was hurt? Uh, what's going on here? And I retweeted that and quoted and said, what's weird to me is that's a fucking knockdown. The ref didn't call it. That's weirder to me than Ugas not reacting. And I'll, I'll talk about Ugas in a minute. Okay. Because to me, Ugas was just being who he is. Um, a lot of people had Ugas fever coming into this fight. I think now they've been cured of it. We'll talk more about that. But to me, what stood out was this is a knockdown. You should have called it a knockdown. The ref fucked up. Basically, what I was saying is this isn't even about the fighters. This is about the refs screwing up. And you guys know, if you listen to the show, I always call out refs and I always call out judges that I disagree with. I just did earlier on the show talking about the Stanionos Butea fight. I didn't agree with that one judge, Javier Alvarez. I always try to call out ring officials when I see inconsistency and, and bad calls. That's all it was. And so people added a bunch of their own context to my tweet, you know. That's just how it goes. But to me, there was this, there was this big to-do about Ugas. Why didn't he jump on, the, you know, step on the gas and try to get Spence out of there when he saw Spence was hurt? First of all, Spence wasn't that hurt. I think a lot of you are exaggerating how hurt he was. Clearly, he was rocked by that first punch. Clearly, the one-two landed. He was off balance. He flew into the ropes. It was a knockdown. I agree on all that. But he was recovered in an instant. As I mentioned before, Spence was in immaculate condition for this fight. And it showed. He recovered from that shot that rocked him, right? His knees wobbled. And he was cool. He was buzzed for like three seconds. So some of you are acting like he was done. He was dead meat. And that Terrence Crawford would have immediately knocked him out two seconds after that. I 100% disagree with all of you on that. All of you. Now, Terrence Crawford might have knocked him out two minutes later or a round or two later. Oh, that I might agree with you on. But in that sequence, he wasn't that hurt, guys. He was a little rocked. He was a little buzzed. He recovered. He dominated the rest of the fight. So to me, 
There's no controversy here. It's a referee who has a track record of screwing shit up, screwing something up. But lucky for us and lucky for the fighters, it didn't have any bearing on the fight itself, okay? So I want to make that very, very clear. We're talking about two different things. <clears throat> Why didn't uh, Ugas jump on Spence in that moment? Why didn't Ugas throw more punches? Why didn't he uh, create more distance and try to stay off of him and use the jab and use his feet? Because Ugas is 35 years old, 36 years old. He's a Cuban fighter. He's probably 40 if we're being honest. Guys, these fighters from communist countries, socialist countries, a lot of these guys don't even know how old they really are. They pick a date. I've been told this by multiple managers and trainers representing these guys coming from places like Cuba. A lot of these guys don't even have a birth certificate. They forge that shit. They don't even know when they were born. My wife's parents are from a communist country. They don't know when they were born. They made up a date when they immigrated here to the United States. They just made some shit up. And the, and the United States government drafted them a, uh, a United States version of, of their birth certificate, right? Or whatever the equivalent is to that document for, for an immigrant coming in. They have no idea when they were born. That's what happens when you grow up in a communist country. That's why communism isn't good. <laughs> I won't go on a rant. But um, that's, do we really know? Is Ugas really 35? I don't know. But I do know this. He's never been a finisher. He's never been a guy that finishes top-level opposition. He's coming off a victory over a completely shot, half-retired, actually 99% retired, Manny Pacquiao, who fought on the last year or so of his career strictly for the money, strictly to um, hold up his end of the bargain he made with PBC when they signed him. I've told you guys for years why they signed Pacquiao, okay? Remember, as soon as Spence beat Mikey Garcia, what they did, they put Pacquiao in the ring with him. That was, what, 2019? 2018, 2019? I think it was 2019. <clears throat> they wanted to do that fight then. That is why Pacquiao was brought in, to build the names of their guys coming up. Errol Spence mainly, but even Keith Thurman, okay? And so Pacquiao, when he fought Ugas, he was done. Now, I'm not trying to diminish diminish Jordanus Ugas because I'm a fan of his. I think he's a good guy. I think he's a legitimate top 10 welterweight. I truly believe that. And he earned his right to be in this fight with Errol Spence. He did his job against Pacquiao. He made the most of that situation. And he earned his right for this big fight, this big payday. Props to him. And he stood in there and fought with a broken orbital bone for two or three rounds. Because I want to say uh, his team thought he broke it in like the sixth, seventh round, and he continued fighting. So all credit, all respect due. But guys, Ugas was never an elite pound-for-pound pound level kind of fighter. Never. And I think some of you caught Ugas' fever when he beat Pacquiao. Jordanus Ugas, his claim to fame is having a close fight with Sean Porter, which I thought Porter edged. I know some of you won't like that, but I remember watching that fight live, and I want to say I scored at 115-113 for Porter, but you could make a case Ugas won. Close fight, could have went either way, but a lot of people referred to that fight as a robbery 
which in my opinion is an exaggeration. Close fight, but you can certainly make an argument Porter won. Either way, Ugas, his claim to fame is having a very close fight with Sean Porter and beating a completely shot, retired Manny Pacquiao. Okay? Those are his credentials. He also has four losses, I think, coming into this fight. Not that I think losses mean everything. But when you look at his best wins and you look at his losses and you start doing the math, look, I give Spence credit for this victory. All things being said, it might be Spence's best win when you factor all the intangibles and the fact that this was for three welterweight titles, right? Um, Coming off the layoff and all that stuff, this might have been his best performance, top to bottom, okay? But if we really, really dissect this and look at it, let me ask you this, guys. Is Jordanus Ugas a top five welterweight right now? Now, I know right now, going into this fight, Ring Magazine, we had him rated number three. The Ring Ratings Committee, we chopped it up this weekend, and I, I made my opinion very clear. I don't think Ugas is a top five welterweight. Would you guys right now, if you had to bet, if you had to bet next month's rent, next month's mortgage payment on the fight, if Ugas was to fight Jerron Ennis tomorrow, Stanny Onis, Virgil Ortiz, would you pick Ugas in those fights? I know I wouldn't. I think Stanny Onis, Ennis, and Ortiz all beat him right now. I think there are other welterweights right now that could give Ugas a very, very tough fight that are in the lower bottom half of the top 10. If Sean Porter were to come out of retirement tomorrow and fight Ugas, I'd pick Porter in that fight, okay? I'm not saying any of this to diminish Errol Spence's accomplishment. I just want to put this into perspective because I think a lot of people are so shocked at the outcome of this fight. And to be clear, my official prediction was Spence 116-112. That was my official prediction. Look it up on ringtv.com. You'll see it up there. Um, so I thought this was going the distance. And I thought that uh, Spence would win you know, eight rounds, or at least that's how the judges would see it. And I thought 116-112, that was it. I did think that there'd be a certain amount of protection involved for Spence if things got a little close and a little hairy because they have a vested interest in him. They've put all their eggs in that basket because Deontay Wilder, that, that ship has sailed, right? So Spence is their guy. And um, so I, but it wasn't necessary. Spence actually outperformed better than I expected. I admit, I bought into a little bit of the Ugas fever myself coming into this fight. I did. And um, look, had this fight gone the distance, this would have been a 118-110 kind of fight. You know, uh, Spence was dominant. You could give Ugas two rounds. That was it. And he wasn't going to win any rounds uh, down the stretch of this fight. So even if his eye had held up, and his orbital bone hadn't broke and he had gone the distance. This is going to be like 118, 110. So I'm not shocked at the outcome. I'm impressed by Spence. I'm surprised a little bit, but I'm looking back and I'm thinking, yeah, I mean, look at Ugas. He has a very close fight, which was a loss to Sean Porter. Uh, and uh, he beat a shot, Manny Pacquiao. That, that's it. Now, I still think he's a top 10 welterweight. But people that are looking at this fight as if it was some sort of preparation for Terrence Crawford, that it was not. There are two elite welterweights right now. They are 
Errol Spence and Terrence Crawford. You can make a case. Either one of those guys is number one. The other is number two. I don't give a shit who you rate number one and two, as long as those are the two guys. If you have anybody else, number one or number two at welterweight, you're insane. You're smoking crack. You need to go to rehab. Those are the top two guys. And then it's the field, right? And there's some new young guys coming up, but they don't deserve a high rating yet because they haven't proven it in the ring. So while I give Spence tremendous credit, this really doesn't change my opinion of how a fight between him and Terrence Crawford goes. Because Terrence Crawford is not going to stand in front of Errol Spence and allow him to land hard uppercuts, body punches, combinations. Not going to allow it. And Crawford's also going to jab his ass off. I looked at the punch numbers for this. And again, I know you guys love punch numbers. But Spence landed 216 total punches in this fight. Ugas landed 96. Jabs. Here's the thing that really stood out to me. Spence landed 24 jabs in the entire fight. This was a 10-round fight. Ugas landed 19. Both of them were pumping it out, but there was nothing behind it, right? Uh, Spence landed the jab at 8%. Ugas landed the jab at 7%. What Spence did great was body work. He landed 65 punches to only 18 for Ugas. To get to Terrence Crawford's body, Spence is going to have to actually land jabs. He's going to have to land jabs with authority. And it's going to have to be twos and threes to get to Crawford's body. And when he does go to the body against Crawford, he is going to get countered and chopped the fuck up. That's the truth. So great performance by Spence. But some of you need to pump the brakes. Now, all that being said, <clears throat> if, um, you know, look. Errol Spence has been built up very slowly by PBC. And I understand why coming into this fight, there were a lot of fans who were frustrated and wanted to see Ugas win because they've grown tired and frustrated of Spence and all the delays and everything. He is an 11-year pro. Did you guys know that? He went pro in 2012. This is his 11th year as a pro. And in 11 years, now he's unified three belts. But there are guys out there that have done substantially more work five, six, seven years into their career than Spence has done in 11. So I understand the frustration. I I, I do. Um, But when I look at the matchup between him and Crawford, I don't think that Spence beating Kell Brook coming off a loss to Golovkin uh, and surgery um, and coming down two weight divisions or beating Sean uh, Sean Porter, who had just come off a really close fight with Ugas, and then beating Ugas. I don't think those three wins have really done anything to help prepare him or improve him to face Crawford. You know what has, though? Time. T-I-M-E, time. PBC and the guys over there, they've made every excuse in the book to delay the inevitable fight between Spence and Crawford. And the PBC stands in the American boxing press and the BWAA on Twitter, on YouTube, have gone aligned, you know, gone along with them in lockstep, okay, and justified every position they've ever made. But it's worked in this one respect. Crawford's older. He's several years older. And at some point, that, that ledge that he's climbing up, that prime years, you know, of his career, 
it's going to tip. He's going to start coming down that hill. Maybe it's already happened, right? So, so I do think that the time factor, the fact that this fight between Spence and Crawford may happen late this year, part of me still is a pessimist and thinks it won't happen until next spring. When it does happen, they will have waited Crawford out the absolute maximum length of time they, they possibly could. And that is the one key advantage that they have. It's not all these other fights that Spence has fought. He was as ready for Crawford as he was ever going to be the second he beat Kell Brook. That's the truth. It really, really is. Um, but and look, if, if, if Crawford and Spence had fought then in 2017, 2018, 2019, I think Crawford would have dominated the fight. But late 2022, early 2023, I do think it's a closer fight. I do think it's a distance fight. I don't think there's a lot of fireworks. I think it's going to be a very tactical, technical fight. I favor Crawford by decision, but the industry, the juice will be behind Spence. So Crawford will be fighting the establishment as well as his opponent. Um, all things being considered, I still favor Crawford in that fight, but now it's a 116, 115, 113 kind of a matchup now or a kind of a, a outcome. That's, that's the way I see it. Um, but I don't know how the scorecards will look. I mean, you know, we can deal with all that later. Let me just add this one last point, and I'll get to some super chats here. But um, I hope PBC gets this right. I really, really hope they get this right. There is zero justification for Spence fighting anybody in the world next other than Terrence Crawford. It has to be Terrence Crawford next. My fear, and I hope I'm proven wrong here, I truly do, but my fear is that we're going to see Crawford fight Keith Thurman sometime in the late summer, early fall, and we see Errol Spence fight a mandatory, like a Stan Ionis, because I think Stan Ionis is a mandatory for one of the belts right now, something like that. And that the, the super fight we all want will get pushed to next uh, March, April, basically a year from now. I really hope that doesn't happen. Even if PBC wants to make a little bit of money on Crawford first and have him fight Thurman, let's say in June or July, as long as Thurman, or I'm sorry, Crawford comes out of that injury free after he knocks Thurman out, you could still do Spence and Crawford this year, whether it's November, December, you could still do it this year. And that's what I hope happens. I truly, truly do. Because if Spence gets in there against anybody, I mean, anybody else later this year, that is just a terrible look from these guys. Because the one excuse they still had was Bob Arum. You know, Bob Arum is involved. We don't want to work with him. You know, and they could blame, they have somebody to blame. And the PBC stands, they hate Aram anyway, right? So it worked. That excuse is gone. That excuse is gone. And it's been gone since since late last year. So there's just no there's nothing else, guys. There's nothing else. And if there's a mandatory that pops up, uh, you have a whole year to work with a mandatory. Usually you can at least negotiate it. Uh, so maybe you can negotiate a step aside where let's say it's Stanionis. Stanionis is guaranteed a fight against the winner 
between Crawford and Spence, something like that. They can negotiate all that. They can work all that out, but they have to get this right. You know, uh, uh, boxing right now in America, you know, it, it's doing good in certain respects, but it's also struggling in other respects. And these PBC pay-per-views, have, they've been taking a bath on these cards. I really think right now, if they got Spence and Crawford in the ring later this year, I think it could do half a million pay-per-view buys. I really do. I think that there would be enough of the mainstream American sports media interested in that fight and talking about it because of the demographics involved. They'd be on board with that because it checks all the boxes for them as to what a dominant match is supposed to be in boxing, right? All the old school guys that barely even watch boxing anymore, they'd be invested in that fight. I think it could do business like that. Is it going to do a million buys or anything? No, of course not. But I think it could do half a million buys. I really think if they get it right, they could they could make some money on it. All right. <clears throat> Let me jump to some super chats real quick. All right. And then we'll get to the preview because we got a big one to preview this weekend. Crisp with the super chat. Thank you so much, Crisp. He says, uh, maybe why Ugas did not try to take out Spence is because he did not have much left in the tank even by the sixth round after getting touched up so much so far. I completely agree. I completely agree. First of all, Ugas is not a finisher, never has been, never will be, but he's also an older fighter. He took a lot of body punches. And unlike what we saw Triple G do a couple weeks back against Murata after taking some hard body punches, Triple G was also countering and landing a lot of hard punches of his own. Ugas wasn't doing that. He had one moment in the sixth where he caught Spence with a good shot. And, you know, Spence kind of fell asleep at the wheel for one second. You can't do that in boxing. This ain't basketball. This ain't football. This is boxing. It's different. You can't take one second off. Spence got caught. It's okay. He recovered very quickly. Ugas did not have the firepower, the stamina, or the fighter mentality to do anything about that. So it is what it is. I completely agree with you, bro. Toreen Falk with the super chat. Thank you, Toreen. He says, Ugas and his overrated trainer, Ishmael Salas, got too much credit for beating a retired fighter. Now look at how that victory is going to age for him. Yeah, look, I give them credit for beating Pacquiao. Ugas did what he was supposed to do. But to your point, Toreen, let me ask everybody here. That version of Pacquiao that Ugas beat, does that version of Pacquiao last the distance against Spence? Does he last the distance against Crawford? How about Ennis? How about Ortiz? I think all those guys stop that version of Pacquiao. I think Stanley Onis would have beat that version of Pacquiao. I think Connor Ben would have a good chance. I'm serious. Some of you guys are going to think I'm absolutely insane for saying that. I'm not talking about prime Manny Pacquiao, okay? I'm talking about the version that Ugas beat. Are you so sure that guy goes the distance with Crawford or or, uh, or Spence? Because I'm not. Are you so sure that he beats young guys like Ennis and Ortiz and Stan Leonis, even though they're not very experienced? I'm not. You know, I, I just I think that version of Pacquiao would have lost to a lot of fighters that night. It's the truth. Uh, let's keep it going. Anthony Santiago with the super chat. Thank you, Ant. I appreciate it. He says, what's up, Mike? And chat, if you could only attend one fight later this year, if they happen, 
Which one would you choose? Canelo Triple G3, the rubber match, or Spence Crawford? Also, I want to see Benavidez whip Charlo's ass. Yeah, apparently David Benavidez was in the crowd and the Charlos were. There was a thing going on in the crowd. I don't know. I didn't see any of that. I don't know. Um, I would love to see David Benavidez and Jermall Charlo at 168. I think that'd be a great fight. Uh, but to your question, look, between the Canelo Triple G rubber match and Spence Crawford, I would go to Spence Crawford. Now, it, it, it maybe would depend on where these are held, okay? If Canelo Triple G3 was held, let's say in Dodger Stadium or something like that, or even AT&T Stadium in Dallas or Yankee Stadium in New York or something, I would rather go to that. Spence Crawford undoubtedly is going to MGM Grand Las Vegas or T-Mobile Arena Las Vegas. And, you know, I just think Vegas is overrated as hell, particularly those venues. I would rather go. Now, if Spence Crawford is in that new football stadium where the, where the Raiders play, then that's different. Then I want to go check that shit out. So a little bit would come down to the venue, my man, the venue and the date. But just based off all things being equal, I'm going Spence Crawford because I've been wanting that fight for years. And I think that um, it's a generational kind of thing, man. Look, I wrote an article in Ring Magazine called Welter Weight, weight spelled W-A-I-T, years ago, previewing that fight. And so when it would finally happen, I would take that issue of the magazine around with me to, in Vegas that week. And I would try to get both guys to sign it because I'd be like, hey, remember this one? Remember when I talked to you guys about this? Yeah, here we are. All right. Um, Gideon with the super chat. Thank you so much, Gideon. He says, uh, Tank Davis, number one at 147. <laughs> uh, beautiful, beautiful troll there, Gideon. Has Tank even fought at 47 yet? You know what, dude? There's probably people out there who actually actually believe that, seriously. Because they have no idea what the hell they're talking about. Aaron with the super chat. Thank you, Aaron. It says, yo, Mike, I'm on day 15 in a row. I have nothing to say, just supporting again. Thanks again, Aaron. I appreciate it, brother. You guys are freaking awesome. And we got one here from Sly Tendencies, hashtag MOB, Montero Unboxing. Yo, thank you so much, Sly. I appreciate it, man. He says, uh, you killed it on the round, on the round table, Kingpin Crawford. Yeah, man. So, guys, last week I did the uh, HCP round table. That was a lot of fun, man. Uh, we had a good panel on there, and we chopped everything up. Um, it was right after um, – I was right after sparring because, yeah, uh, Thursdays, mo most Thursdays now I'm sparring. I lift weights in the morning, and then I go spar down at Buckhead Fight Club on Thursdays. And um, so I was a little tired, uh, but I still had a lot of fun on that show, man. That was good times. Really, really good times. Okay. Whew. What a review. Holy shit. We're almost an hour in, and now we still got to do a preview. My mouth is getting dry here. I need some water. Oh, we, all right, let's do it, man. Cause I got some, uh, I got some more fire for you guys. Cause if I haven't triggered enough of you, all right. Uh, this week, Thursday, April 21st, golden boy promotions has a show at fantasy Springs casino in Indio, California. This will be broadcast on the zone. Uh, this is really good for golden boy. Okay. I've talked about this in the last month or so, but golden boy really had a dry spell from late last year through the beginning of this year, and it hurt. All of us have felt it. So uh, 
This is great for Golden Boy. Uh, these little club shows that they do in and around Los Angeles, they, as they say, they keep the lights on. They keep the heat on. Although you don't really need heat in California. They, it keeps the AC on. How about that? Anyway, Joel Diaz Jr. fighting Mercito Hesta or Gesta, uh, 10 rounds, junior welterweights. And again, this is a club level show. Uh, the, the fans out there at Fantasy Springs Casino, the, the population out there in Indio, California, the, the Inland Empire, as it's called, uh, they, they really enjoy those shows and they usually do well. So that'll be fun. Uh, Friday, April 22nd, these are not televised fights, but they are fights of note. Uh, let's see. In Liverpool, England, John Rael Casimero uh, defending his WBO Bantamweight title for the third time against Paul Butler. This is a ProBellum card. I have no idea what the hell ProBellum's doing. They, they have these cards. They're not televised. And th they haven't done any card of, like, note. I, I don't know. I just don't know what the hell they're doing. Wandering money? or something? I don't know. I don't know what's going on over there. Uh, also, uh, in Tokyo, Japan, Masataka Taniguchi going up against Kai Ishizawa. I love the Japanese names. They're so fun to say, man. That's a fun language. Anyway, first defense of Taniguchi's WBO strawweight title. These are very, very tiny little men. They are smaller than my wife. Okay. Uh, anyway, Saturday, April 23rd. This is uh, the big one. Okay. And you know what? I beat up on PBC's undercard for that Spence Ugas pay-per-view because it featured three fossils fighting guys that they were just trying to give wins to, right? But this undercard for Fury White, guys, this might be the shittiest pay-per-view undercard. I can't say of all time, but it's certainly the worst pay-per-view undercard for a full-price pay-per-view that I can think of in years. I'm not even going to discuss the fights on the undercard. That's how shitty they are. And no disrespect to the fighters. You guys are just doing your thing, right? I get it. This is all on the promotion. But with this one, both of the, both of the main event fighters are gouging the fans and gouging the promoters and the network so bad that the promoters almost have no choice. 99% of the money is going to the main event fighters. So why even have an undercard? I, I, I don't know. In the future, in a setup like this, why not just do one co-feature and go right to the main event? Why have 10 fights of fluff on an undercard and charge for a pay-per-view? It's almost insulting. I, you know what? The, the pay-per-view should just be the main event. That would make more sense. Because you could just market it by saying, Fury White, one fight, 70 bucks. Boom. But when you say, oh, you get four fights, you get this fight and that fight, stir-fried shit followed by dried piss, right? Like, it's insulting. Anyway, Tyson Fury defending his ring and WBC heavyweight titles against Dillian White. Fury's record is 31-0-1. White's record is 28-2. Both of these men are large, and sometimes they come in larger than other times. So both of these guys have had weight issues throughout their career, right? The weigh-in is going to tell us a lot. For my money, I'm going to be an optimist. And I expect both of these men, particularly Fury, to show up in great shape. Fury was not in very good shape for that third fight against Wilder. It was a long layoff. He was coming off of COVID, right? Um, so 
he just was not in very good shape. He was in good enough shape to, to win the fight, but he pretty much was in the same condition he was for the, for their first fight. I expect the Tyson Fury of the second Wilder fight against White. And for Dillian White, who has been calling for this fight for 8,000 years, right? He's been the WBC mandatory for 873 billion years. He better show up in the best shape of his career. If he doesn't, it's all on. This was just a money grab for him. This call out, all of it was just to get what, eight, nine million dollars, I think he's getting. Um, that's all it was. And we'll know. We'll know at the weigh in. So uh, the weigh in is going to tell us a lot about how this fight's going to go, guys. All right. Um, for the, yeah, yeah. I just, I looked here on my notes. Dillian White won the WBC silver belt back in 2017. That's basically their mandatory belt, I guess. But he also won their interim belt in 2019, lost it a year later, then won it back in 2021. So White has been highly rated by the WBC going as far back as you know five years ago. You know, I, I, I exaggerate the years a minute ago for jokes. But seriously, he's been highly rated by the BC for about five years. And he wanted originally the, the Deontay Wilder fight. At least that's what he said he wanted. And now he's been calling for the Tyson Fury fight. Well, my man, you know what they say. Be careful what you ask for because you just might get it. And now you got it. So now you get a chance, Mr. Dillian White, to show all of us if you really are for real and you've just been inconsistent at times, which happens to the best of us, or if you're a pretender and you're just a guy who's gotten lucky a couple of times and landed a couple of big punches that worked out for you in your career. We'll find out. All right. Uh, both men have had two fights since 2019. It's kind of interesting. Furious fought Deontay Wilder twice. Dillian White has fought Alexander Povetkin twice. So in terms of their activity, it's, it's, it's difficult to say uh, which guy has had the better run recently. Uh, does Wilder help Fury prepare for White? Does Povetkin help White prepare for Fury? I don't know. Um, let's see what else. Okay. I, I looked at their records from 2018 on. All right. I've just been trying to find some X factors to bring to you guys for this preview. Cause I, you know, I like to do that. Fury of course, didn't fight in 2016 or 2017. So I'm not going to go, you know, before 2018 in his resume, we're just going to go 2018 and onward, right? He has fought, well, Fury over that time, I should say, is 7-0. Both men have fought seven times from 2018 to present. Fury is 7-0 with four knockouts. White is 6-1 with three knockouts. So he did get knocked out once. He got knocked the fuck out. Remember against Povetkin the first time? But look at the actual opposition. This is where it gets kind of interesting. Fury has fought Safer Safari, Francesco Pignetta, Tom Schwartz, Otto Valin, and then Wilder three times. Other than the three Wilder fights, that is a complete dog shit resume. And I know some of you will say Valin's underrated. Okay, he's not on the level of these other guys. He's not on the level of, you know, uh, Fury, Wilder, White, and some of the other names I've mentioned. He's not. Um, he's better than Tom Schwartz and those guys, yes. But outside of those three Wilder fights, Fury's resume, not very good. 
In that same span, White has fought an undefeated Lucas Brown, a one-defeat Joseph Parker, Derek Chisora, an undefeated Oscar Rivas, and then Povetkin twice. Top to bottom. I'm not saying I believe this, okay? It's just a preface. I'm just saying one could make an argument that these two resumes, in terms of the overall quality of opposition, are pretty much even. Um, now, White did lose once, and he lost badly. He was dominating the fight, and then he got caught, which can happen. He has been dropped multiple times, but you know what? So is Fury. Fury's been dropped four times against Wilder, and he's been dropped six times in his career. I actually think Fury may have been dropped more times than White in his entire career. So on the surface, you just look at the resumes. They're not that far apart. You know, even though Fury is the champion right now and, and White is the challenger. I'm just saying. Now, how does this fight play out? I tend to believe we're going to see Fury. Uh, I think there's going to be some scary moments early on for Tyson Fury fans. I think Dillian White's going to get some good work done early on. I think he'll start well. But Dillian White tires midway through a fight. He gets tired in the middle rounds, and Fury gets better as rounds go on. Fury is just a natural fighter. And White has a, a, a background in fighting for sure, right? And he's a very strong, physically strong guy. I actually think White, if this were a powerlifting competition, White is stronger than Tyson Fury. I really believe that. But in terms of boxing, Fury can do this shit in his sleep. And White just isn't on that level. Um, you know, I, I just think he's going to tire in the middle rounds. And I expect Tyson Fury to start rolling downhill late. And this is really if, if White gets aggressive, overreaches, um, I, think, I think Fury can catch him with something, counter him with something late and put him down and get him out of there. I think Fury can get a late stoppage. If White goes defensive and just tries to go the distance, then this goes the distance and Fury wins wide on the cards, like 117, 111, something like that. But Either way, I very much favor Tyson Fury in this fight. And this will be a good win for him. Because other than Klitschko, and you guys know how I feel about that fight, I'm not going to beat a dead horse. And the three Wilder fights. Fury's resume isn't that great. I mean, he did beat, I want to say, I don't think it was undefeated Derek Chisora, but it was a young Derek Chisora. That's a solid win. It's aged well. Shasora is a guy who got much, much better later in his career. Um, so that's a decent win for him. But if he beats Dillian White, this is his third best win. And depending on what we see from White in this fight, it might prove to be his second best win for Tyson Fury. So um, it's no less. It will be no less than his third best win. Seriously. You just kind of don't know what to expect from Dillian White. You just, you don't know what you're going to get. But on Dillian White's best night, if Dillian White brings his absolute best, it has the best performance of his career, he can give Tyson Fury one hell of a fight. And it would actually be a really, really fun, entertaining heavyweight scrap. I don't think it's worth $70. I'm certainly not paying for it. Um, I, I think it's kind of insulting to ask American fight fans to pay $70 for this. But um, other than that, I like the fight a lot. And it's no less than Fury's 
third best opponents. Obviously for White, it's his best opponent, but not by a mile, not by a mile, because he's been in there with a lot of other, you know, solid top 10 heavyweights. Lost some, won some, been dropped, been stopped, but he has that experience. Can he collect all of that and take it into this fight with Fury? That's why it's intriguing to me, man. That's why it's intriguing. All right, that's how I see it. That is how I see it. All right. Now, well, let me first, if I was going to say, now we can go to the phones, but let me make sure I'm not missing a super chat. Okay, I'm not. Now we can go to the phones and I can give my vocal cords a break. So let's do that. Man, you guys have been on the, several of you have been on the lines for almost an hour here. Let's go to 415. You're on the show. What's going on? Mike, what's going on? It's Luis. What's up, Luis? Uh, yeah, I had uh, talked to you a few uh, weeks back. I don't know if you recall, but we had a good conversation about uh, a card out here in uh, Fresno. But, uh, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. This past card this weekend, yeah, yeah. Um, about, about this past card this weekend, I actually graded the whole card uh, overall, maybe like a B plus. Like, I really enjoyed from the kind of USC um, tactics that they use, uh, you know, the prelims to uh, leading up to pay-per-views. Like, it was, it was it was one of those cars that I really wanted to sit on my couch and order some good food and just watch some boxing. And I, I think I kind of got that. Uh, the Rio the Venezuela and Vargas fight, I kind of really wanted to see that. I, I kind of agree with you as far as that the guy shot. But he's still, you know, an experienced um, past champion that we could see the, the young, you know, guy get some rounds in and see how he handles, you know, some old tactics. But... He sparked him out so fast. I, we, you know, we didn't even get a chance to really see yeah. the kid. I don't know if you heard some background background stories about him, but um, you know, I follow a lot of these, you know, uh, these these uh, boxing sites, kind of like you know, I follow you with your show. And he has been, I, I guess you could say, it, like a gym gym uh, a boogeyman, knocking yeah. out T.O. multiple times, sparring. So, so, so you know, I'm kind of you know, he's been ha- had like a lot of uh, these past champions or, or top-tier guys in the gym and has been beating them up. I mean, the, the kid is big for uh, 135, I think. But uh, what do you think about him real quick, just, just before I can get into no, the event? A lot of people are excited about him, man. He's going to settle in as a welterweight at some point. But um, a lot of people are excited, and I'm with you. I wanted to see him get some rounds in. They put him in there against a guy who's just shot, bro. They got to get him in there against a guy that's durable yeah. and can go rounds. Right, right. So, do you see his uh, future promising, or what, yeah. I mean, you think it's too early to? Um, well, I, it's too early to say for sure. But I mean, I he's one of those guys that you said has a reputation in the gyms. Um, he's big and he's explosive for that division. But we just we won't know till we know. He, he's got to get in there with a guy that can catch, that can shoot back, and we got to see what happens when he has to go a few rounds. I, I think what he got towards his benefit is how uh, Benavides. Um, in his in his camp, kind of uh, similar to how Earl has, you know, Charlo, you know, trained with at times and spar with it, spar spar with, excuse me, and get you know different tactics from because training with, with with I mean you're a big guy and Benavides is a big guy in his weight class. You get to learn some of the you know the little niches, the little tricks that mm. you might have not learned, you know, prior to you know getting into that camp. So I think that that'll benefit him a lot later. But uh, about this main event, though, I, honestly, I was really interested and I was really surprised at how Earl showed up because 
I, again, I was kind of like everybody wanted to see what, what a big layoff was. This, you know, a box, uh, boxer's worst enemy is inactivity, mm-hmm. if you might agree with. And, and, you know, he's been he's two fights in almost three years, basically, right? So mm-hmm. he looked good, man. He looked real good. His his endurance, the, 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 the kid has wind, man. Like, he has, yeah. like, a, a, a high output. He kind of reminded me of a young Mikey Garcia. When Mikey Garcia would not lose rounds to nobody, like you know, prior to the Earl fight, the 130, 135 round he had, uh, he did not lose rounds. Even when he fought Easter, you know, like he did not lose many rounds to Easter. But um, that's how Earl is. Like he does not lose rounds. But coming in, coming into the fight, I feel like, or in the fight, should I say, uh, Ugas, he was looking good at first when he was attacking the body, throwing that, that straight jab to the body. I don't know why he got away from that. Maybe you might be able to elaborate on it. He got a beat like, out of him, man. he got away from it because it felt like... He, he got a yeah, beat out of him. Him getting beat up. Yeah. That, that's I, what I, I saw, he was, bro. He was having some success from it. He was having yeah, some success early he on. Success, he got away from it too early. Well, I I think Spence took him out of it. I think Spence was doing some good counter work. Spence was going to the body and his punches were harder. Uh, And that that left uppercut, man, Spence was getting really good positioning and a good angle and shooting that uppercut and he couldn't miss with it. And I think that Ugas hesitated to lean down to get that shot off to the body because he saw that uppercut, that 45 coming up, and he just didn't want it. Yeah, I, I, yeah, it's true, real. I also feel that kind of. I, don't, I forgot who said it. I've been listening since you started at two o'clock, but uh, I'm in the West Coast. I, I just, oh yeah, yeah, I'm in Oakland, so yeah. um, at two o'clock, this is your whole show. Yeah, so um, I've been. I forgot who you said, but somebody was like saying they're happy that the overrated Salas, you know, basically got brought down a notch, and I kind of agree with that because that game plan that they had, as far as that inside game and. Mm. Still, still trying to, you know, like shell up and, and counter. That that was the terriblest game time you could have came before to that fight. And I yeah. feel like he didn't have no plan B and C. He stuck to that plan A that basically Earl beat out him, like you say. I and completely agree. Yeah, yeah. his jab. Yeah, his, his jab was was there all night. I, and I'm I'm with you. I kind of feel that that jab is it, it, not going to be as effective with uh with Bud because. One thing that uh, the Crawford has is his over his overhand right, I guess to say, over, over the jab is, mm-hmm. is is a killer. His his jab, Crawford's jab is more of a power punch. I mean, seeing yep. how he did how he did Kell Brook, you know, even though Kell Brook was you know not in his prime, but he was still Kell Brook. You know, he was still he was still an elite top or lower elite fighter. But I just, I, I, I kind of, I'm more interested. I, I was leaning towards Bud prior to this fight, maybe 60-40. But now with this performance that Earl had, I, I'm kind of uh, a toss-up now. I'm at 50-50. Uh, I just feel that th- those body shots that, that Ugas had, um, had uh, you know, like success with earlier in the fight, uh, Crawford's not going to just, just abandon it once it doesn't go, go as planned for a couple rounds. He's going to find a way to step around it. Mm-hmm. He always switches, obviously, and that straight right is going to be there for Crawford all night against Spence. Because I've mm-hmm. seen Spence get hit with a couple of lazy straight rights that Uga shouldn't have landed, and he was landing, a, you know, a, a good amount of them. Yeah. And and Crawford Crawford straight right is a whole different monster, bro. Yeah. It's a whole different monster, and yeah, maybe maybe you're right as far as that that 
PBC did right as far as, you know, aging him. But at the same time, Crawford hasn't took no punishment in these fights. I think the most punishment he took was that cut against Kell Brook, which was a short fight. But that, that was the first time I, where you can really say that you've seen Crawford bruised up after a fight. I kind of had a, uh, a cut where the scar tissue usually is, so with the left eye, right eye. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm interested, bro. I'm interested, man. Thanks, I, thanks yeah. a lot for the call. And, uh, yeah, I'm listening to whatever you got to say. Thanks a lot, brother. Great call, man. Great call. Yeah, I thanks. think um, – Guys, Luis, you know, his opinion of this being now a 50-50 matchup, I saw a lot of that same opinion on Twitter over the last, you know, 48 hours. I saw a lot of people say, because I asked on Twitter, um, I think yesterday, I just said, you know, has your opinion on the Crawford-Spence fight changed? And for a lot of people, they said no. Um, but there was a lot of people, I, I say half of them, that responded that said, yeah, man, I think it's a pick em fight now. I think it's a lot closer. And the promotion should look at that and say, okay, now is the time, dude, because now it, it seems that the fans who had kind of lost interest in this fight, they kind of had fatigue, they're interested again because of this performance. And um, they, they better seize that opportunity, man. They better do it. <clears throat> Super chat from Sam A. Thank you so much, Sam. He says, Stanionis versus Buteyev is my fight of the year. Fundora second, Conlon third. Nonstop action, two granite chins. Cards were a little wide for me. Yeah, I thought the cards were a little bit too wide for Stanionis. I don't know, man. For, for me, I, I guess it depends what you prefer, man, because Stanionis Buteyev went to distance, and neither guy was ever put down. Fundora, Lubin, both guys got put down, and one guy got stopped. So uh, in terms of, you know, drama, for me, Fendora Lubin just had more drama. And and also, I got to say, it's two Americans. So I, I just, that's probably going to get fight of the year over Stanionis Buteyev. But I'm with you, Doug. It, it's it's kind of neck and neck right now. It just depends what you prefer. Just depends what you prefer. Okay. Well, there's no way I'm getting to all these calls, guys. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not happening. I'm sorry. I'm just telling you in advance, Okay. Um, let's jump on here to, uh, three, three, six. You're on the show. Yo, Mike, what's up? What's up, man? How you doing? Shit, I'm good. 110% every day, every way. How you feeling, man? I'm feeling good, man. I had a good workout today. Today was legs and shoulders. I, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Workout. Yeah. I sparred yesterday Yo. on Sunday. So, uh, so yeah, yeah, yeah. feeling good, man. Hey, that's good, man. That's good. Um, I'm not sure what happened with Ugas. I, I, I guess he, like you said, he got beat down, and I started to eat some of that pie, Ugas <laughs> pie, and I, I took a little lesson there. You know what I mean? Um, because I really didn't expect. I, I, I expected to go 12 rounds, but hey, yeah, I did too. It happens, but I can tell you what. I don't know about this 50-50 Crawford thing because Crawford is going to pop him and stop him. Period. So you think Enough you think said. Crawford will stop him? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. You're not alone. A lot. That's, there's a lot of people out there who agree with you. That's that. Yo, I, he better fight Crawford next, or he's bitching up. Yeah, I mean, he there's just no excuses, real. man. Like the, the, the excuses are, are dried up. That's it. 
Yo, he called him out. He did. He? he said, I'm coming for the motherfucking belt. Didn't he say yeah, that? Yeah, he did. So, you know what? We got to give Spence credit because he did call out Crawford. He said, that's who I want next. And in fact, I, you know, I, yo, man, on Twitter, Oscar De La Hoya said, man, you know, Spence should fight Virgil Ortiz. And Spence. Yeah, fuck that shit. <laughs> that's what Spence <laughs> Spence responded to Oscar. He goes, fuck that. There's only one fight I want. So I got to give Spence credit. Yo, He's saying the right thing. Respect. respect. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fact, yo, all right, man. Um, other than that, I concur with everything you said. Great show. I'm not even going to repeat stuff you said already. I mean, yo, man, shows is great. Callers are great. What can I say? Appreciate I it, BLT. Thanks a lot, man. Show. What can I tell you, man? You take care. You too. And I will talk to you again uh, Friday, I suppose. All right, brother. Peace. Have a good one, man. Yo. There he goes. There he goes. All right. Let's keep it rolling. We're going to go to, I think this is Thad. Thad, what's up? How you doing? Hey, thanks, Mike. I, I tried to get in on Friday. I guess you didn't have a show. Nah, yeah, yeah. My training went late, and I just, I couldn't. So, yeah, sorry, yeah, guys. Yeah, excuses, excuses. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, nah, it's all good. Yeah, I uh, I owe, uh, yeah, uh, Jack Alter. I owe him some props for that ninth round uh, TKO. With Golovkin, I didn't think he it was did gonna happen. That. I didn't think Golovkin at 40 years old. Yeah, I didn't think it, uh, Golovkin at 40 years old was going to be able to muster that kind of uh, uh, attack to break a guy down like Murata, who, <laughs> who even they said on the telecast had a skull that was inhuman. It was thicker than normal human, and that's why he could take a good shot. That's what they said on the. Yeah, didn't you say like a doctor told him that when he was a kid or something that like he yeah. had like a thick skull? Yeah. yeah. And if you remember as a kid, I don't know how old I was, but when I watched uh, Homer Simpson fight Dredrick Tatum, <laughs> a.k.a. Mike Tyson. Yeah. And the, I remember that. Yeah, Simpson great had episode, the, uh, man. Yeah, he had a bonehead. Yeah. yeah he had like a four-inch thick uh, skull or something. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, he's got to take the good with the bad. But, yeah, I give I give mad props to him on that. It was a 17-to-1 uh, cash there uh, if you bet the round. So Damn. He won 50 bucks. He probably could have done a lot better if he shopped around on the – on the lines because my line was 17 to one. I, I put down 10 bucks, 170 yeah. got my money back because I lost money on the, um, you know, taking the, uh, the over mm. it was an under. So, so be it. But, um, yeah, Golovkin deserves all the credit in, in my book. He should be ranked close to an all time. Great. Uh, you know, they robbed him, but we all know that, but I don't want to stick on that subject. Just had to clear that up. Um, here's the thing. Um, the Spaniones Butaya fight. I, I watched these fights in the casinos with some people and everybody in the casinos coming and, and saying, Hey, why isn't this fight on? Why isn't this fight on? And cause it was listed as a second fight to the main event, Butaya and Spaniones. And, and nobody had an answer. I'm like, no, they showed it on Showtime about two hours ago, three hours ago. And they're like, what? Oh, come on. People actually knew who they were. They wanted to see that fight wow. in the sports book. Interesting. Yeah. And they're, and they're they're raising hell. They're like, what? This that's look at these crappy fights. Like everybody was booing, and oh, it was it was a mess. Yeah. So um, yeah, I just wanted to, because these undercards are important to the diehards. Yeah, and especially when people are betting fights. You know, they 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 want to see. They know who the good fights are. That was a 50-50 fight. Stanionis proved beyond a shadow of a doubt that guy fights to the level of his competition. Because mm. Butayev is probably the fifth best welterweight right now. I, I would put Stanionis to the fourth. 
behind Ortiz and uh, Crawford and Spence. Now, okay. I'm not going to say Ennis because I think Ennis has been fighting. I cherry picked opposition. He, he's been, you know, matched very soft. So for people out there overrating this guy, be careful, be careful. And uh, I, I want to ask you, what, what do you think Spence weighed uh, the night of the fight when he got in the ring? He looked like a middleweight. He looked like a middleweight to me. Yeah, <laughs> I think he was thinking light heavyweight. I was. Uh, yeah. I, I had him at a buck seventy-five. Ah, uh, thirty I, thirty pounds. I don't know if he could get that much, but I, it wouldn't surprise me if he was a super middleweight. Yeah, wouldn't surprise me. Well, yeah, because that that if you saw him at the weigh-in, you know, he was drawn. He was, you know, very thin in in the bicep area, and that all of a sudden, all that weight came back. You know, like a sponge, like I was saying a couple of calls ago, like a couple of weeks ago, the muscles react like a sponge when you got help. Hmm. All I'm saying, I, if, if if there's a fight and Vada's involved from start to finish, a three-month or four-month window against Crawford, Crawford's going to beat him. Because I, uh, I see some Terry Norris-esque chin issues with Spence. Hmm. I don't think he takes a great punch. And I don't think Crawford does either. I think Spence is a little chinny and he's never been in with the puncher and, and Ugas is a Cuban and they, they're not aggressive. He rocked them. That, that, that punch really hurt him. I Spence stumbled. He was off balance and he got creamed and he went to the ropes. That should have been a knockdown, but mm-hmm. you know, I digress, uh, buyer beware on that fight. So it's going to come down to a lot of things. Um, and then moving forward to Tyson Fury and Dylan White. I saw a lot of footage of Tyson Fury. He looks about 260 pounds in training. He's had a full camp. He hasn't had a full camp since the Wilder rematch. Right. Okay. And he looked, yeah, he he looked like gold. So expect the Fury of uh, when he fought Vladimir Klitschko to show up and probably another hybrid with the Wilder rematch Fury. I think this is going to be peak Fury. The, the last fight, he was just maybe 60, 70%. Yeah. I agree on and that. That's all it took to beat a an overrated Wilder. Let's be honest. Wilder's a one trick pony. Dylan White's a better fighter than Wilder. Okay, he brings a lot more to the table, a lot more nuance. Fury knows this. He's in great shape. He's going to stay away from that left hook. The one thing White has is that body attack. He dedicates to the body. That's Fury's probably only weakness. Because you hit Fury, he's going to get back up. He's. I'm going to say this. Fury is the modern day Larry Holmes. If you could, if you could imagine that, let's put it in perspective. Okay, yeah, he's six, he's six nine, not six six three, and he's not black. Okay, <laughs> but he's he's Larry Holmes. He really is. He's an all time great in the making. The one thing that made Larry Holmes great, okay, besides the jab, his will, his indomitable will, that brought him through that Norton fight. Tyson Fury has that same will. It's it's extraordinary. He, you can't duplicate that. Okay, that's this is a special fighter. He gets hit, he gets hurt, he comes back. To keep him down, I don't know if he can. I don't think there's a fighter that, that could actually keep Fury down. You can knock him down, but you can't keep him down. Hmm. If, if there is one fighter that could beat him, it's Usyk, and it's going to be by style, and he's going to have to outthink him if that's possible. But... Joshua might have a puncher's chance if he pressures him because he has a lot more tools than Wilder. And White could hit hard too. I, I just don't think they have the rest of the, uh, you know, in, in the in the gas tank to, to pressure Fury for a full 12 rounds. And that's why he's going to win this fight. I see him stopping him late. 
but okay. you can't you can't bank on Fury to act to win this fight like it's it's nothing because White is a real contender. I just think that his gas tank he's done by the round by round eight. If 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 he's coming to fight and pressure by round eight, he's going to be vulnerable, and I think that's where Fury takes him out. Nine, ten, eleven, twelve. So that's kind of uh, how I see it. I'm looking forward to. Yeah, yeah. It, there's not really a lot to break down. We've seen these guys against, you know, I guess similar opposition, which is Zora. He's kind of like a clone of uh, White in in a way, mm-hmm. you know. And um, and when when White fought Parker, he was very unsteady at the end. He he, he was he got lucky dropped. to get through that fight. I thought, yeah, wasn't it twelfth round? Was in he big got trouble. Dropped, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And we know we know Parker. Parker's like he's docile. This guy he doesn't have a finisher's uh, mentality. Mm-hmm. So he was fortunate. I think yeah, White's been very fortunate. Even against Oscar Rivas, he had some problems. And when he gets dropped, he kind of stays down. Mm-hmm. All right, he he doesn't have that recuperative power that Fury does. Mm-hmm. So that's gonna be the difference of the fight. If there's one bet to make, it'll be Fury goes down and gets back up and wins the fight. That's a plus 400. You get a four to one. If um, you bet 100, you get that's, wow. 500 back. And that's really possible. I could see yeah. White scoring with a hook or something early on and dropping, like starting to the body, mm-hmm. like a left, right, left, and a, yeah. a second left is up top, and it drops Fury, um, and yeah. then Fury gets up and stops him. I could absolutely see that happening. Yeah. yeah. That's how I kind of mapped it out so far, like around round four. You know, White will sneak one in, and then he'll blow his load, and and Fury will weather the storm, and then progressively White will break down. You know, and then Fury will just—he'll have his—he has a gas tank because this guy's like, yeah, he—he's two seventy in some fights, but he's not solid muscle. This guy's like kind of flabby, and you know what? That's not bad. That's yeah. not bad in boxing because muscle works burns a lot more oxygen, especially for heavyweights. It's very it's, dense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. People, people overrate this. You don't have to be a bodybuilder in boxing. It, it works against you like a Frank Bruno. My God, my goodness. Mm-hmm. He was only, he was good for seven rounds, eight rounds. So people have to understand that. And Dylan White's carrying a lot of muscle around and he tires. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's, that's how I see this fight, you know, going down. You know, you bet that prop. If you bet props in this fight, you're going to make money. You, you know, you take them to, to get knocked down and then have them stop them at the end because, you know, Plus four hundred, you bet a hundred, you get five hundred back. Good yeah, money. That's pretty so good. If you ha- if you have a Friday show, yeah, if you have a Friday show, I like to call in and just recap a little bit and see how, what these weights are because that'll tell you tell you the story. If, if Fury's between two sixty and two seventy, he's 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 going to be a prime Fury. If Dylan White's below two fifty, like between two forty five and two fifty, I think that he'll be at his peak. But if he comes in over at two two sixty. Trying to muscle with Fury, I, I think that's a bad idea. I think I it's a bad idea because you need volume. So I'll let you get to the rest of the callers. Just uh, you know, if you have anything to add, I'll I'll, I'll be listening. So thanks for the uh, taking my call. All right, thanks a lot, Thad. Good stuff, man. Will do. Yeah, uh, to to Thad's point, you know about Fury's conditioning. I think Fury recognizes that he, this is not Deontay Wilder. Once he figured out what Wilder does. Uh, Fury, and I, you know, I look, he should have showed up in better shape in the first fight and the third fight, but you saw how he showed up in that second fight. 
uh, prime and ready to to get him out of there. That, the third fight, I think Fury just figured, I got this guy figured out. Mentally, he's broken. Uh, I could show up 60 70% and still beat him. Uh, but he, he knows he has to be 100% for Dillian White because Dillian White, you know, I get it that Wilder has the eraser with the right hand. But to Thad's point, White does have a really good left hook. And White can do things on the inside and things to the body that Wilder just can't do. White can do nine or ten different things that Wilder can't do. Wilder does one thing, and that's the right hand. And it's a it's an amazing right hand. And it's long, and he can hit you with it from an angle that you can't necessarily see if he gets that left hand out front, right? And it's coming in straight. But with White, there's some stuff he could kind of do that these little intangibles, right? These little fighter intangibles, this, this kind of natural stuff that I think can give Fury problems early. And I think that's why Fury is really, really, you guys notice that Fury's not up to his typical shenanigans going into this fight. He hasn't been posting a lot of shit on social media. We haven't seen a bunch of wacky videos on Instagram and stuff. Uh, and I get it that White's been kind of a punk and he hasn't gone to a lot of the the press events and stuff like that. And I think that was his version of playing mind games too. But both of these guys are preparing different. Both of these guys are characters, right? On social media and stuff. And both of them have kind of gone pretty silent in the lead up to this fight. I think they both know what they're facing. They're also both British. And this is going to be over there at Wembley in London. So there's, there's a lot of national pride on the line. There's all sorts of stuff going into this fight. I expect both of these guys to be at their absolute best. The one question I had with Dillian White, because I think Fury's coming in 100%. I really believe that. And I think the Wilder, that third Wilder fight helped him get rid of some of the sludge, the muffin sludge, as, as I said a couple of weeks ago. And he's going to come into this fight looking really good. Uh, but with White, again, if he shows up to Thad's point, 260 or above, we know he's just coming in for the payday, in my opinion. He's already half defeated mentally, and he's just showing up to get paid. Uh, super chat from Sam. Thanks again, Sam. And Sam makes a very fair point here to his earlier uh, notes about Stanionos Buteyev being the fight of the year. He says, hey, Mike, Canelo and Triple G, too. There was no knockdowns, and that was still fight of the year. I 100% agree with you, Sam. Uh, I know you were there. You know I was there. Big differences, though. That was for the legitimate, bona fide middleweight championship of the world. It was the biggest fight of the year, right? And skill-wise and everything and the pace of it, it was fought at an even better pace than their first fight, which was a fight of the year candidate. Um, also, the crowd was into it. It was the main event. The crowd was going nuts. It was T-Mobile, right? All 20,000 people were screaming and hollering. For standing on those Buteyev, it's just missing some of those elements for me. But again, dude, I fully respect your opinion. I know that you know your shit. And if you have standing on those Buteyev as the fight of the year, I'm not I'm not mad at that. For me, I'm going to edge it for Andorra Lubin for the reasons I gave. Um, I like to just see that that drama, you know. But I will say this. Skill-wise, standing on <coughs> Buteyev fought at a much higher skill level than Fundora Lubin. I will I will give you that. Okay, let's go back. to I, will, I won't say much higher, but higher skill level, particularly with Stanionis. Buteyev is just kind of a bruiser. All right, back to the phones we go. We got Nacho on the line. Nacho, what's up, my man? Hey, what's going on, Mike? Uh, luckily, there's not a bunch of cards to talk about, just one big one, so mm -hmm. I'll get right to it. Um, 
with the uh, with Crawley Lopez. Um, good performance by Crawley. He did what he had to do, you know, won and moved on. I just think Lopez has to call it a day. I mean, Garcia was telling him in the corner that he had no legs. He had no chance of beating the kid. Mm-hmm. I mean, he tried to convince him to let him throw in the towel, but he didn't. I mean, I guess, you know, he wanted his moral victory, but I genuinely hope that Garcia really talks to the kid and just tells him it's time. Like, okay. you can just see he's done. He doesn't have anything left. Um, with uh, Rayo and uh, Vargas, I didn't like that fight at all because Bandito has just been in too many wars. Mm-hmm. And then his last fight against Pitbull, he got beat up, and it, he didn't look good. And so the fact that people were really thinking that he was supposed to test uh, Valenzuela, I just thought was comical. He was being brought in to be served up on a platter, and that's what happened. So people acting like uh, Valenzuela just destroyed a guy who was in his prime, it, it, it's just, it's all smoke and mirrors. Right. They knew what they were doing, is that they're using the name to build the kid up. The kid has talent, but I'd like to see him in there against somebody who can actually fight back a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. serving him up against a an old faded veteran's not necessarily going to do him. Uh, it's not going to improve his career, you know? So let's see what they do with him moving forward. Um, Pitbull Gamboa, same deal. Gamboa had no business in the ring and Pitbull went out there and just mauled him and beat the hell out of him. Um, that last shot that he hit him with before the ref finally stepped in, Mike, someone posted a video of the sound of that shot when he hit him like, flush on the head that shit is scary it sounded like somebody hit him with a metal pipe it was insane and and the fact that gamboa stood there and was looking at the referee like what are you doing why are you stopping it i was like oh my god like somebody save this man from himself he's too tough for his own damn good like that's crazy like there's no way he should be allowed to get in the ring again and then for the uh main event I agree, Mike. Spence looked great. He looked a hell of a lot better than he did against Danny Garcia mm-hmm. a year and a half ago. Um, I just thought Ugas went in there with the wrong game plan. I don't think he needed to go into the meat grinder with Spence. I think, if anything, he should have tried to stick and move as much as he could and then mix in some uh, inside uh, work. But instead, he went toe-to-toe with, with Spence and got chopped up and got stopped. Um, a lot of credit to him. Like you said, he, he fought with a messed up eye and, you know, he showed a lot of heart. Um, but yeah, he, he was never going to win that fight. Tactically, that was the wrong fight that, uh, he went about. And the fact that, you know, uh, he's surprised that he lost, um, he shouldn't be. That's Spence's bread and butter. If you're going to go on the inside with him, you better be able to back him up and you better able, be able to hurt him. If not, he's just going to steamroll you. Yep. He's proven that throughout his career. And so Ugas, you know, he fought the round game plan. I'm sure he'll be back against who that is. I don't know. But I, I don't buy this 50-50, Mike. I still say Bud Crawford. To me, it's more of a 55-45, in my opinion, for Bud Crawford. I think he's still proven to be the fresher fighter, doesn't have as much wear and tear as Spence does on him. And as good as Spence looked, I'm just not convinced that he's going to be able to steamroll Bud in the same fashion. I think Bud is going to go in there and he's going to mix it up and he's going to give uh, Spence a lot more trouble than Ugas did uh, on Saturday. So hopefully the fight does get made. I'm glad he called out 
Crawford because mm-hmm. we've all been waiting for that. I'm glad he finally did it. And I'm, you know, genuinely hoping, like you said, the damn fight gets made and like, you know, let's go. Let's let's see it. All of us want to see it. And then just real quick on the last two fights that uh they didn't bother to put on the pay per view, which they should have. Um Staniolis Butayev, God, that fight it was rough and tumble. It was it was a good fight, but I wouldn't call it a fight of the year candidate, Mike. I think it falls just short of that. I didn't think there was enough sustained action going both ways. Like there was just too much holding, too much mauling, yeah, too many dirty especially things late. being done by Butayev. Yeah. Yeah, especially late. And it just got to be a really tough fight to watch the last three or four rounds. So I wouldn't call that a fight of the year candidate. It was it was a good fight, but it's not on that level. Glad Staniotis won, but after that, he got physically beat up in that fight. I genuinely hope they don't bring him back for a few months because that kid needs a break after the beating he absorbed mm-hmm. um, in that fight, even though he was the winner. And then uh, Brandon Lee, Mike, the kid has talent. It's just driving me nuts that PBC is going out of their way to give this kid like all these soft touches. Ochoa had no shot in hell of winning that fight. And he had no business being in there. And you could see that right away. He Lee was just tagging him. And Ochoa was just in there to try to survive and go the distance. And that's what happened. I, I need to see this kid against someone who can actually punch him back. Like, I'm tired of seeing these guys who have no hope of winning the fight. And he's just basically getting paid for a glorified sparring session. Um, I wouldn't mind seeing him against, um, you know, a guy like, uh, you know, Lippinets or, or somebody of that ilk. That'd somebody be a that good, can actually push fight. this kid around. Yeah. I'd yeah. Like that. I, I wouldn't mind seeing somebody like that. Somebody that can actually push him back and actually make him fight for once. I'm tired of seeing these glorified sparring sessions with this kid. It, it's just getting to be redundant at this point. And um, with Connor Ben, yeah, he beat up on Van Heerden, but Eddie Hearn needs to stop messing around with him, too. He's got to give him a real fight. Like, this kid, the kid has gotten better the last couple of years. He's grown, but he started. he's going to start improving the competition. Ideally, I would like to see him make the uh, David Avanesian fight because I think that's the only guy outside of the top 10 guys in, in that division that is available that would be a viable opponent. And they just got to make that fight. Like, quit giving them the Chris Algieri's and the Chris Van Heerden's enough. Like, we need to see this kid really, really tested at this point. So, all right, Mike. That's my call. All right, brother. Good stuff, Nacho. Thanks, man. All right, man. Thanks. Yeah. All right, Nacho hits every fight. Boom, boom, boom. He's very thorough in his review. I love it, man. Good stuff. Nacho, Nacho knows his shit, man. All right. Uh, let's go over to the U.K., Got seven eight zero on the line. How are you doing? You all right, Mike? Chris Bergen, how you doing? Chris, what's up, man? Yeah, awesome, man. Awesome. Yeah, I've just got a few bullet points written down here. Um, I'll fire through because you probably got quite a few on the line, aren't you? Yeah, we got a lot of callers today, but some of them are giving up. Some yeah. of them are hanging up now. So, <laughs> well, I'm glad I I'm glad I got on anyway. <laughs> but yeah. Um, First of all, uh, yeah, I think it was uh, was it uh, Thad who said uh, about the um, bodybuilders like Frank Bruno. Yeah, have, have you have you seen Frank Bruno these days? The guy is still absolutely jacked. Yeah, like, he's always been one of those guys he, that's huge, but no body fat. I don't know how he does it. <laughs> I want to know a secret. Yeah, the guy. I, I mean, 
how old is the guy now? Like 55, 60, something like that? It's got to be. And he's absolutely huge still. He's jacked. <laughs> yeah, he's like, 60 years old. He's inspiration to get in the gym. He's 60 yeah. years old. I just, <laughs> I just checked. Um, but, uh, yeah, um, so I won't talk about the Errol Spence fight because uh, it's been talked about to death. So I'll uh, start with the, the Conor Ben fight. Um, I think, um, you know, um, Conor Ben, he's... You put Anthony Joshua aside, I'd say he's probably the biggest star in in the UK now. Interesting. Um, the, yeah, I'm not saying he's the best fighter, but I would say he is the biggest star, or he has the most star potential. Just because of the um, name recognition. I mean, yeah, well, the, the the crowd go absolutely wild for him now, and mm. you know he's probably he's probably in the top five most fan friendly styles. Yeah. In in the world right now, like you know, you if you go and see a Conor Ben fight, you know it, it, it's going to be fun. Mm-hmm. Like you know it's going to be fun. Like you can't see those fights going the distance unless he's fighting someone like Adrian Granados, who was just on his bike all night. Right. Um, um, but yeah, it's such, such a fun style. I think he's a huge star now, and um, I disagree with uh, with. I think it was Nacho. He said that he's. You know he's been matched poorly. I think he, I think he's been matched quite well. I think his last five fights have been good wins. I think um, decent, decent competition, not great competition, but you know I think now is the time he's ready now to be thrown in with a you know the, like you said the David Avenition fight. I think that's a brilliant fight. I'd love to see that. I think you know that's one of those guys getting knocked out in that fight if they oh, yeah. fight. Um, I know they're talking about the Kell Brook fight, but I think Kell Brook's going to price himself out of that fight because apparently he wants ten million for that fight, so that's not going to happen. Um, but Eddie Hearn's talking about putting him in there with like Keith Thurman or Danny Garcia or Mikey Garcia. I was just going to say so, Keith you know, Thurman. That would be that would be so much fun if they could get Keith Thurman to travel over there. Man, that'd be fun. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I, I think you you got. A, You've kind of been a chance in those fights, but I think you know as he as he now steps up the competition and fights these guys, you know he's going to win some and he's going to lose some, and that's what's going to be fun mm. because he's going you're not going to know going to these fights. You're going to think these are fifty fifty fights, mm. pretty much every fight he goes into now, unless unless they get him in there with like you know a Crawford or a Spence, and then obviously those guys are going to win, but you know. People like Thurman, Danny Garcia, Mike Garcia, you know, the, one of them's going to get knocked out and it'll be fun to watch. So, yeah. Yeah, I agree, man. He, he's got that kind of style where you know he's going to get knocked out at some point and get beat. Uh, and I'm not saying that to to diminish the guy in any way. It's just it's just his style. Um, you know, it's it's, yeah, it's exactly. a dangerous style, but it's so fun for fans. And he's always going to bring it and it's going to make for fun fights. Yeah, like I would say, this um, if you compare Conor Ben with someone like uh, Campbell Hatton, yeah, you know, with Campbell Hatton, Campbell Hatton, he's not he's not got it, you know. For me, he, he's getting knocked out soon, and he's fighting, you know, C D E level opposition, and I think he's going to get knocked out soon. I mean, I I know a guy whose son beat him in the amateurs, and he and you know he's not, you know, he's he's an old body, so mm. you know. You know, Conor Ben is—he has the style, and he's going to be fun to watch. Campbell Hatton, nah, he's 
definitely not. Yeah, in my I opinion. just not seeing it with Campbell Hatton. Just not seeing it. Yeah. Uh, so the next fight I was taught, want to talk about is the Fury White fight, and it, oh, it's got to be the worst undercard in the history <laughs> of boxing. It's got it, the top three anyway. It's so bad. <laughs> uh, it's so bad. It's so bad. But I mean, Frank Warren overpaid so badly for this mm-hmm. fight that mm-hmm. I don't even think he can afford the money for the main event. To be honest, so. That's why that's why the undercard's so bad. Um, but um, if anybody, um, the UK callers will know, uh, UK listeners will know, uh, there's a, a radio show called Talk Sport. And, uh, I know Talk Sport. Fantastic radio. They've had yeah, Doug Fisher on there. Fantastic. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, I think so. But uh, yeah, they have, yeah, they have a YouTube channel as well, and they have a boxing YouTube channel on there now. So if anyone wants to check that out, it's really interesting. Um, Really, really fun to listen to because uh, they have they had Frank Warren on there trying to defend the undercard, and that was quite an interesting uh, discussion because uh, the uh, the panel hosts were just ripping the card apart, and Frank Warren was getting really angry and trying to defend it. It was quite funny actually. <laughs> hey, Frank so should have any, just anyone he just should have rolled with it and just accepted that he knows what he's he's putting on a shit undercard. You just gotta roll with that, but. You think is. so, but uh, yeah, he, he was trying to defend it, saying it was actually a good undercard and got good prospects on there. Tommy Fury, who's, you know, I think, he's fighting like a, a, I think he's fighting like a Russian bin man or something. <laughs> bin um, man. I love that. So, Yo, yeah. All right, we just got some yeah. British slang, everyone. <laughs> bin man, garbage <laughs> yeah. man. But it makes sense because yeah, you exactly. put garbage in the garbage bin. So it makes exactly. sense. I, I, love, I love the British slang. <laughs> but yeah, uh, but yeah, um, it was also on the talks. But uh, he was having an argument with Dylan White's lawyer. So check that out, people on mm. YouTube. That was that was hilarious. Uh, Dylan White's lawyer was some pompous American guy, and <laughs> you know it was it got really heated. It was really funny. Um, I check that out. Yeah, yeah, check that out. Uh, and also with the, the ticket sales of that. People, if people leave it till the last minute, they're going to get some seriously good deals because they're saying they sold ninety four thousand tickets, but the majority of them were sold to these StubHub and Ticketmaster, Ticket you know, these reseller sites, and uh, they sold out on the first day, and the tickets were back online for like five times the price. And it's an absolute joke, disgusting, absolutely disgusting for uh, boxing fans, right? And uh, so, like, believe it to the last minute, you know, I I personally would not buy from any of these sites ever. Um, I refuse to do that. But if people leave it to the last minute, they're probably going to get some good deals because they're going to have a lot of tickets to sell still. I believe it. Yeah, because I, I just couldn't believe that. I mean, when's the last time Fury fought over there? And White is a name, but it just it, it sold 93, 94,000 tickets in like a day. I never believed that. And I know Eddie Hearn does that a lot too, where they'll just sell everything out to the ticket brokers. But when you've got an Anthony Joshua, it works. But in this case, I don't know if it's going to work. Yeah, we'll see. It'll be interesting to see, but it's yeah. just annoying, especially with especially with that undercard as bad as it is. That's You're not going to pay. Like I said, some you know the tickets are up for like five hundred pound and stuff like. That. Nah, no, I'm not paying that. It's ridiculous. <laughs> no chance. I watch it. I watch it on box office for thirty pound. You know. 
Yeah, I was going to so, ask how much. So it's thirty pounds for you guys for the pay per view. I think it's twenty nine nine nine. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So so uh, it is. It's quite. more in America, the pay per view. Wow, than it is for you guys because thirty pounds is probably yeah. fifty dollars, something like that. Yeah. Yeah, about fifty bucks. Yeah. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. It's not mean, it's always, but the thing is, thirty dollars, thirty pounds, sorry, is the most expensive, um, like ever. I think because oh, yeah? it used to be standard. It used to be uh, twenty pounds standard, mm-hmm. and then I remember when AJ fought Andy Ruiz, it went up to twenty five pound, and everybody lost the shit because it went up five pounds. <laughs> and now it's another five pounds, uh, man. That's they just yeah, keep jacking it up, man. Yeah, but like I say, at least it's not the prices you guys have to pay. It's hundred dollars to watch. Oh, it's outrageous, especially at PBC and it's throwing out one every month. Yep, absolutely. But, yeah, but yeah. Um, okay, that's me. Uh, I'll let you get to your next calls, but uh, great to chat to you anyway, Mike. Yeah, good to hear from you, Chris. And uh, yeah, good luck with the training, and uh, I'll speak to you soon. All right, man. Thanks a lot. All right, take care, mate. You too, man. There he goes. Oh man. Wow. A few of you guys just hung up. <laughs> I think a bunch of you guys gave up. We only got a few minutes left anyway. So I'm going to wrap up unless one of you guys jumps on super duper quick, but I want to make sure I got all my super chats. I believe I did. All right, guys, man. Great show, man. And and um, I, I'm going to try everything in my power to do a Friday show because um, I really do think this is one of those fights. Fury white, where the weigh-in is going to... I'm not a weigh-in bro. You know, I'm not one of those guys. But the, the weigh-in matters for this fight. It's going to tell us a lot. So, um, all right. We'll try to do something Friday. As for now, great show, great calls. I hope you guys have a great week. And we will do it again soon. All right, guys. I'm out. I'll see you at the fights.